0: Good morning, it's good to worship with you. Uh, Two items I'd put on your radar uh, before we get into our text this morning is, um, number one, I I don't believe in meetings. Uh, I believe in celebrations. Uh, So uh, I would just love to pack the house uh, at our congregational celebration next Sunday night as we celebrate what God has done and what we hope he will continue to do in our midst. Uh, The second thing is, uh, yesterday afternoon, I came by the church just to step into my office and do a couple pastor things, and there were 20, 25 people at the facilities, on the campus, and Barb, reminder, she had a whip, and uh, she—no, by God's grace, uh, a number of you showed up and served uh, our church family by caring for our facilities— Thank you for doing that. That is no small thing, uh, and it's a great service uh, to our body here. Uh, And uh, Barb, uh, we need to get that whip from you. So, uh, we continue our series in the book of Galatians. And as we've covered Paul's initial introduction and his urgent words and concern for these churches in Galatia... We now get to the meat of Paul's letter and his argument. Well, what is his argument? Jesus is enough. And he's going to make that argument in two major sections through the rest of the letter. We'll put that on the screen. The two sections uh, are this. Paul's defense of his apostolic authority... And then the rest of the letter, Paul's defense of the gospel that he's proclaiming. That's how this letter kind of breaks down. Now, you might wonder why Paul would take so much time to defend himself. And we might take time. Why would we take so much time to follow along? Well, a defense of Paul's character and his experience, it gives legitimacy to what he's going to say about the gospel. So our passage this morning, this section we find ourselves in, in the early part of the letter, is more biographical in nature. It's like a narrative. It's actually one of Paul's longest and most transparent explanations of how his life has been changed. So I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Galatians 1. And our sermon this morning is entitled, How Jesus Directs, How He Directs Our Life. Now, I'll confess that I'm a sucker for biographies. Uh, I love reading about the lives of missionaries and pastors and faithful followers of Christ who've gone on before me. And I even love to follow contemporary stories of how Jesus directs people's lives, so Uh, rather publicly in recent years, even celebrities like Kanye West and Justin Bieber, well, they're professing to be faithful followers of Christ. So I do what I'm supposed to. I get on YouTube and I'm reading lyrics and and I'm trying to see how does a faithful follower of Christ, how do they write music? How has their life changed? So whether it's Paul, yourself, your neighbor, or Justin Bieber, The main truth I want us to understand from the scriptures is this. Jesus is enough because he changes lives. As Paul defends himself and the gospel that he proclaims, he shares kind of three movements that were true of his life. And these three movements will be true of the life of any faithful follower of Christ. Uh, the first movement, he's going to talk about his former life. Would you read with me, please, uh, starting in verse 10 through 14. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's former life. One of the things we constantly need to ask as we read the scriptures is this. Here's a good question for your Bible reading tomorrow. Why is this what I'm reading? Why is this verse or this passage? Why is it in the Bible? Why is it here? Paul shares some of the details of his former life because it proves that the gospel that he preached was not given to him from a man, a teacher, some preacher. It wasn't the result, the gospel that he proclaimed, it wasn't the result of some cultural upbringing. And that is a common, just so you know, that is a common criticism of Christianity today. The good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. People will say, well, you only believe in the gospel because of where you were born or because of the family that you grew up in. Well, we'll address that in our own lives in a moment. But consider Paul's life first. There was a phrase that we read in verse 13. Look again at it with me at the end here. My former life in Judaism. You might read that like most Western 21st century thinkers and readers and understand that Paul was a Jew. He lived according to Old Testament laws and Old Testament tradition. That is true. But there's more to it than that. The word Judaism in Paul's day was loaded with cultural baggage in history. <clears throat> I'll give you a couple examples. If you're older than 20, when you hear the term, the word 9-11, you have a specific event, a cultural understanding that comes to mind. 22 years ago, 9-11 would not have meant anything to any of you, very likely. But now it's pregnant with meaning. If I say Hiroshima, that means something to you. It's not just a location on a map, it's an event. It's a bombing that happened nearly 70 years ago. If you're younger here this morning, and I say ghosted, that has meaning. That doesn't mean you see ghosts. That means you've disappeared. You've stopped texting me. Older people, that's what, that's what ghosting means. When Paul says Judaism, he's not simply referring to Jewish belief and tradition that he once lived. There are some commentators who say the term is connected with a violent subgroup. So I did some reading this week. Before the time of Jesus after the Old Testament. So there's this period of history called this period of silence after the Old Testament prophets and before Jesus came on the scene, there's silence biblically. Well, But there is history going on. And there's Jewish history going on. So you might read historians like Josephus. Josephus, I think I'm saying that right, who writes about that period of history in Jewish tradition. Well, there's another book called 2 Maccabees. And in Second Maccabees, the term Judaism in Greek literally referred to violent subgroups, almost think terrorist. And if I remember correctly, I think it's Second Maccabees 2, 8, chapter 14, where the word Judaism doesn't simply mean Jewish life. It means Jewish subgroup that acted like terrorists. So Judaism has some meaning here. And we get that from our passage. Look again at verse 13 and 14. Paul even kind of alludes to this subgroup. My former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. And tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, this subgroup, beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I. That's Paul. So what's the point? The point is there's no way that Paul got the message of the gospel. There's no way he got that from his former life. There's no way his proclamation of Jesus was handed down for mom and dad. He didn't get this from his friends, his teachers, or even zealous peers that he went to school with. Paul's former life was marked by spiritual blindness, rebellion, and hate against God and those who would be faithful followers of Christ. For years... Paul lived a life far from God, even though he considered himself, and so did many others, to be a very religious person. So that's Paul's former life. My friends, consider your former life for a moment. Or some of you, your current life. A life that does not truly know and follow Jesus. A life outside of Christianity is no different from Paul's life. Now, that's a pretty radical statement. Because what I'm doing is I'm equating Paul's spiritual blindness and rebellion and being a part of this violent subgroup, his former life, with ours with yours. And biblically speaking, that's true. Our former life, a life apart from Christ, is marked by spiritual blindness, rebellion, hatred against the rule of God in our life, and a coldness or even a hatred for other people made in the image of God. So here's how Paul would explain a former life, someone who's outside of Jesus in Ephesians 2. Like the rest of mankind. Now, Paul would continue. Yes, our former life is bleak. Yes, according to Ephesians 2, we are enslaved to our own personal sin, to the world, and to powers in the air. But, but the story does not end there, does it? Not in Paul's life. There is great grace for Paul and for you in the gospel of Jesus. If you're here or you're watching online and you are considering Christianity, or you've grown up in it, but you're not convinced that this Christian life is really for you, like Paul, you're not too far gone for rescue. You're not too far gone for a new life, no matter what that life looks like. Now, if you're here as a faithful follower of Christ, <laughs> my friends, If you're a faithful follower of Christ, look back. Look back on a former life that you had and praise God for who he is and what he's done. Not just in Paul's life, but yours. Years ago, I was pastoring a small church in West Virginia. And um, there was this elderly man in his mid-80s. Every time he prayed, he would say something like, God, thank you for saving me. Well, I'm in my early, mid-20s and a jerk, like most are in that age. And I was judging him for his prayer. Like, there's no way, there's no way. Every single time he prays, God, thank you for saving me, that he's really genuinely thankful. It's like the little kid who says, God, thank you for this food. And, you know, they don't know what else to pray. Just habit, habit prayers. Sitting across from this man on a Saturday having lunch. And with tears in his eyes, he shares how God had rescued him from a former life. Was it a former life of a violent subgroup? No. No. But it was a former life marked by blindness and rebellion and a coldness towards God and people. And with tears in his eyes, he says, I don't go a day without thanking God for what he's done in my life. That is what Paul's doing. Brothers and sisters, that's what you and I must do. Constantly look back to that former life. God, thank you that I'm not what I was. (laughs) and even though I am where I am now, continue to change me. I don't want to be a finished product. It wasn't just Paul's former life, however, that proved that he didn't get his message from men. Yes, he had a former life, but Paul, he was also called by grace. Would you read verses 15 through 21 with me, please? But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Some of you might have a translation or your note or a note in your Bible that says, he who set me apart from my mother's womb. But when he who had set me apart from before I was born, from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Here's why Paul is sharing this part of his biographical sketch. Paul was called to this new life, not because of his performance, not because he was a good person, but he was called by God's kindness. Theologians call this unmerited favor. This calling is Proof that he didn't get the message from man. But rather, as we read in verse 16, God revealed his son to him. This dramatic revelation we read about in Acts 9. Some of you might be familiar with that story. If you're not, let me give you a little refresher on this historical event. I'll give you the Twitter summary. Paul is killing and jailing faithful followers of Christ, as he traveled to Damascus to punish more followers, well, something happened. Something pretty big happened. A light shone from heaven, and that light was Jesus. Jesus spoke, as the kids would say, on point, telling Jesus, or rather, Jesus telling Paul that he was persecuting the church. And really, he was persecuting Christ. He was attacking Christ. Now, Paul didn't front. He didn't act as if he was better than he was, but rather humbly and blindly, he was led into town. And he fasted for three days and nights. And he was blessed by God. That is, the grace of God came upon him, and he was filled by the Holy Spirit. Scales fell from his eyes. And he trusted in Christ and was baptized. That's Acts 9. So in our passage, in verse 16, when he says that the Son was revealed to him, he's referring to Acts 9. He didn't get the message of the gospel from the synagogue's preferred seminary. As he writes to these, Galatians, these Galatian churches, he's reminding them the good news and the freedom of Jesus was directly revealed to him in the person of Christ. The Spirit of God used Paul's pedigree as a Jewish scholar, knowing and understanding the Old Testament, and he came to see that the fulfillment of Old Covenant promises was met in the person of Christ. Paul came to believe what I think Jesus taught the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. That, as it says in that scripture, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to the disciples all the scriptures concerning himself. So that's Paul. He sees Christ. He trusts in him. But what is the fruit of being called by grace? What's the fruit of a changed life? Well, Paul tells us. He was a faithful follower who shared Jesus wherever he went. Look again at some of these locations. In verse 17, he went to Arabia and then back up to Damascus. In verse 18 and 19, he goes to Jerusalem to visit with Peter and James and speak the truth of this gospel ministry to the Gentiles. In verse 21, he's going to more regions and preaching. Paul wasn't simply called to collect data and a new set of worldview lenses. He was called by grace to be sent out in the life that God had given him. Can you see any similarities between us and Paul here? We too have a former life. A life that was marked by spiritual blindness and rebellion. But God, but God in his grace called us out and shines a light. Maybe he didn't do it literally on a road to Damascus, but he did it effectively and powerfully in our hearts and minds. And we see Jesus and we cling to him. The empirical reality of lives being changed in Jesus of Paul, and of us, is the good news of Jesus. That's what the good news is, that Jesus changes lives. And being a faithful follower of Christ does not mean you look a certain way. It does not mean you talk a certain way, hold a particular preference or conviction about sports, politics, education, whatever. And I'm sure we all have opinion on those things, right? Right? And they should be driven by the truths of Scripture, no doubt. But being a faithful follower of Christ quite simply means, in Paul's life and ours, that we've been changed from darkness to light. That's not a political statement. That's a kingdom of God statement. But did you notice the progression in Paul's life? I wonder if that progression is true of our life. He had a former life marked by blindness and rebellion. God revealed to him the person of Jesus. Paul understood and clung to the gospel. And then he went. He didn't sit and, as I said, collect information, but rather he acted. Look again at verse 10. Go back to that. What does Paul say? Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or a slave of Christ. What was he motivated by? Why did Paul want to be a servant? Why did he consider himself a slave to Christ? Why was he motivated to serve? Well, I couldn't help, as I was going through this week, just think of a song that many of us probably know. And the lyrics go something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. He wasn't guilted into serving. He was so in love with Christ, he wanted others to know. That was his motivation. The love of Christ compelled him. Is this true of our life? I doubt you have any plans this week that will lead you to Arabia. And if you do, by the way, take me with you. I'll carry your suitcase. Maybe you're not going to Damascus, to Jerusalem. Maybe you're not going to the surrounding regions. Where will you go this week? Who has God ordained for you to rub shoulders with in the life that God has given you? So children, uh, there's some young people here. Children, uh, question for you. Who has God put in your life this week? You see, God has not simply... Yes, there was a former life. Now you've been called by grace and, you know, just... Follow your parents. Oh, no. Oh, no. Children. You know those parents need Jesus too, right? Maybe God has put you in their life to encourage them to follow Christ this week. What about your siblings? Your classmates? Your friends? Hmm. Now, adults, I'm not going to let you get away. What about us? Who has God put in our life this week? Well, many of us are still dealing with parents and children and co-workers and neighbors. Faithful followers believe Jesus is enough because he changes lives. And unlike Paul, we are not called to a specific location that he was and to follow the life that he was. But God has given you a life, hasn't he? He will put people in your life this week. He calls people out of a former life by grace. He forgives them. He restores them. And then he sends them out to live the life that impacts others with the good news. God help us. God help us to do the same this week. Well, we see Paul's former life. We see his calling Uh, Lastly, we see here that God is glorified in His people. Would you read 22 through 24 with me, please? And I was still unknown in person to the uh, churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that He once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, I've, over the years, rather inconsistently uh, tried to use the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, with my children. And the first question in that catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? What is our telos? What is our goal? What is our direction? What is the purpose For our life. And the catechism answers the question this way. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is what faithful followers of Christ live out. This is what we see of Paul's biographical sketch in our passage. He lived a former life of blindness and rebellion. God graciously called him and changed him, and now he's living out one of the core values of Lakewood Church, intentional outreach. Paul has enjoyed the benefits of trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that new life, Paul's new life, has brought glory to God. An onlooking world saw Paul's life and said, Wow, God is amazing. And I hope that's our reaction, too, when we read of Paul's life here. But look again at verse 24 and read it carefully. And they glorified God because of me. Who are the people glorifying and giving honor and praise to? Paul? Oh, Wow, Paul, you're such a great man of God now. Paul, you've really made good decisions in your life recently. Paul, you've really pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. No. No. May it never be. What's being celebrated is the power of God. It's about the Lord, not some personality, not some messenger. Paul had such a testimony that God was put on display and not himself. Are we doing that? One of the ways that we can really give God glory and honor is how we change our vocabulary, how we speak about our own life. Who is God pointing to? his own power, his own ability, his own effort or is he saying yeah my former life but God. God rescued me. He revealed Jesus to me. It wasn't about a decision I made I didn't I didn't I'm not really smart and it's all about me. So here's how this might look practically. You didn't catch that fish. yeah I mean it, you know you it was this big but you, you said it was this big. No, if Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, you didn't catch that fish. Oh, you've been married for 30 years? Well, we all know your wife has graciously put up with you a long time, but it's, it's not it's not your 30 years. It's, it's Jesus rescuing you and sustaining you. Did you survive this week with your kids? Uh, no, Jesus pulled you along and protected you from killing those kids. Lakewood, this is the aim of our life. To glorify Him, to point to Him, to enjoy Him. It's not about what we do, it's what He does in us. The question has to be asked, am I living as a faithful follower of Christ that puts him on display? Are people glorifying God because of the life that God has shaped in me? And here's the answer. I already know the answer. Yes. Absolutely he is. Absolutely God is being glorified in your life so whether god has saved you as a five-year-old a punk teenager an alcohol or drug addicted adult or a grouchy grandpa god has saved you and i see some of you looking around at grouchy grandpas when i say that don't do that when god saves a person that is a miracle regardless of what he saves them from what life it was it's always a miracle God has saved you, rescued you from your former life, and he's called you into the light. Are you seeking by his spirit to put him on display in your life? You are. You are. Are you doing it perfectly? No. (laughs) Of course not. No. We fail among our peers, we fail in front of our kids. We fail at the workplace. We struggle with different things in different seasons of life. But in his grace, even our imperfect obedience, he's not only pleased with us because we're in Christ, but he's glorified in us when we confess and repent and strive to live for him in our life. So, yeah, maybe your devotions were pretty dry this week. Maybe you didn't pray. Maybe you didn't crack open the Bible. Maybe you break check some teenagers who were hounding you on 210. That is a confession. God is glorified as we continually live for him. So did you fail this week? Yes but do you know that He's glorified and honored when you come back to Him? Do you know that God is glorified and honored in the midst of your struggle? Do you know that God is glorified and honored when an on-looking world looks at your imperfect life and you say, I have Christ. I have Christ. That puts God on display. Brothers and sisters, may God enable us to press more into these truths. May God meet us this week as our biographical sketch is being written for his glory and for our good. Will you pray with me? Father, that's what we pray. We pray that the narrative of our life, just like Paul's, would bring great glory to your name. We pray that as we leave here, we would be the church. We would be the sent out ones who put Jesus on display in our our vocabulary, in our good deeds, even in our confession and repentance. May an onlooking world see Christ and magnify the name of Jesus. God, we trust that you'll be with us and that you'll enable us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.